In my conversation today, I speak with a longtime friend and athlete, Jen Keith, on pursuing endurance. In 2009, Jen and I were both introduced to triathlon and raced our first ever half Ironman triathlon in Wilmington, North Carolina. We were two absolute goobers who had no idea what we were doing, but had willpower like none other to finish with our heads high. Jen is as competitive as they come and has gone on to compete in many different races and has even gone on to compete at the World Championship Ironman event in Kona, Hawaii. She qualified again and plans to be back in Hawaii this fall to give Kona all she's got. Thankfully, this race is televised. I can't wait to watch her attack this brutal course. Endurance racing is humbling. Jen and I both agree that training for this sport has made us more inspired, disciplined, and resilient human beings. I hope that this conversation both inspires and encourages you in whatever it is that you're facing today. Welcome to On Pursuing with Ivy Gaskin Baker. In these minutes together, we explore the stories of individual people who are pursuing something meaningful to them, putting in the effort to build a life they are proud of. I hope you find some piece of their stories inspiring in your own pursuit, insightful as you seek to connect with others around you, or intriguing as you embrace curiosity and growth in your own journey. I hope you find some light in our conversation today. Enjoy the show. You know, I had one really incredible experience with Beach to Battleship. It like changed the way I approach life. I think getting kicked on your butt like that, because it just, it just wiped me out. I think, but I think having an experience like that, I just think it's good. I think it teaches us something and I don't know anybody else who's done what you've done and I want to talk about it. I feel like I'm just like a normal everyday person. And that's who I want to interview. You know, I don't really follow celebrities very much. I don't really like celebrities and even professional athletes too. Like, yeah, they're inspiring, but professional athletes, they have a whole team that makes that possible. They're not, you know, they're not the rest of us, but the rest of us can compete on that stage as you've shown. And so, and you didn't have a team. I mean, you had a support system in your family, but you didn't have a team that was helping prep your meals and do all these things. You were doing it for yourself, right? I assume. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think, I think we, we think that certain things are maybe unattainable when it's, that's not true or I don't know. And I think, honestly, I think like regular people living life are, are more interesting because they're doing it while raising children, while running a career, while building a business. While I mean, so I think you have a cool story to tell. So I want to tell it. I want to help you tell it. Okay. You and I, you and I have known each other for forever since like Uh grade school. Okay. So you got your start in sport with swimming. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. I um, started summer league swimming because my brother did. Mm -hmm. Um, And he started swimming year round. So I followed in his footsteps. I thought I was going to be an elite level However old my brother was swimmer, I thought I was going to be swimming with him at my first tryout. Unfortunately, I didn't quite make his level. He's three years older than me, um, but kind of got sucked in. I swam, uh, swim back here in Charlotte uh, for, I guess, 11 years uh, year round. Uh-huh. Um, and so it started as three days a week for an hour and 15 minutes. And then before you know it, uh, you're in middle school and high school swimming at 5 a.m. before school. Um, and every day after school on the weekends, twice a day in the summer. Um, and the rest is kind of history. Yeah. Um, and that was, okay. So that was your, that was your sport. That was my sport. I dabbled in a little bit of track in middle school and a little bit of cross country in high school, but my swim coaches were pretty adamant that I be a one sport athlete and be a swimmer. 
Um, and so I took their directive and gave up the running thing, which now, now I look back and wish I wouldn't have. Um, but I fully committed to swimming, uh, I guess from about 10th grade. Um, well, really all of my life, but 10th grade on, I gave up the other sports. Uh-huh. What was your, sw- what was your stroke? I was a breaststroker, 200 breaststroker, 400 IM, um, mainly 100 breast, 200 IM too. Um, and I tried to do the 50 free because I did not want to be a distance swimmer. Um, but nowadays all I swim is distance free. So who knew? Distance <laughs> free with an occasional breaststroke in there. And then did you swim college or no? I did. I swam only for two years of college at um, the University of North Carolina. I got to college and my body was just cooked from the years and years of swimming. And so I had knee surgeries back to back years, freshman and sophomore year. Um, and at that point, yeah, breast is pretty brutal on your knees. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty brutal on my knees. And at that point, um, they basically told me I was genetically predisposed to my issue, but all of the breaststroke was causing my problems. And so I thought I was giving up swimming for forever. I think I only gave it up for three years after that, but, um, yep. I swam for two years in college. Mm-hmm. As a young person, what do you think that sport and, you know, all that responsibility did for you? I think it did everything for me. Um, I honestly, I look at it most times like, Oh my gosh, like how awful, like, I can't believe my parents got me into this sport where I'm like at practice at five o'clock in the morning and back in the afternoon. And, um, it completely took control of my life. Um, but as a result, I've made some of my closest friends, um, who were like family to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my like time management and discipline, I think are second to none. Um, you, I will never be late to anything. And I just like, I can like get my day down to a science and how I'm going to run it and how I'm going to manage it, which is super helpful now because I'm living that life with my training and my full-time job. And so, you know, all those skills that I learned as a kid, I'm still using here every day of my life. I think if anything, it teaches discipline. Oh, absolutely. For sure. What is something, speaking of like discipline and ritual, what is something you habitually do every day now? Oh, <laughs> I am a creature of habits. My kids will laugh at school. I think since I've been at Latin every day for snack, I eat an apple and 12 almonds. <laughs> um, and so I've had parents of kids I taught way back when, like, oh, are you eating your apple and 12 almonds? Like, you just don't realize what kids are going to pick up on. I get up at four o'clock in the morning. I drink my like kooky lemon apple cider vinegar drink. You do that. Okay. Yes. You're, you're one of those. Yes, all right. I'm all right. I've always heard people talk about it and I'm like, that sounds disgusting. So is it, is it gross or is no, it good? I hated it to start, but now I love uh-huh. it. A little lemon, a little ginger, a little honey and some apple cider vinegar. Uh, it's warm, right? I warm it up. Yes. Uh, Try it. Good for the gut. Good for inflammation. Oh, is it good for the gut? Is that what it is? All the things. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so like every go. day is a habit. Every day is the same thing. Maybe a different workout, but every day is the same thing. No, that's really good. And that's really good. And I think that, I think it takes someone who, I mean, it has to, it has, it, you have to be disciplined and have ritual if you're going to be training for this kind of, this kind of Absolutely. stuff. Um, all right, let's, ju- let's jump in. So not everyone knows what triathlon is. Give me the rundown. What are the elements of a triathlon? What are the distances? We don't necessarily, I know there are a lot mm-hmm. of different distances. We don't have to go through all of them. Absolutely. So most of the time when people say you do triathlons, they ask if you've done the one on TV. Um, and you're so, like, yes, 
Actually, yeah, I'm one of the lucky ones who uh, uh-huh. in 2017 did the one on TV. That's the one in Hawaii. So most people assume a triathlon is the full Ironman and they assume it's the one in Hawaii. The full Ironman is the most, not even, I guess there's even longer distances now, but tends to be the most outrageous one of them all. That's the 1.2 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then the 26.2 mile run. So that's kind of like the granddaddy of them all. And then there's a half Ironman that is also one of the considered the longer distance events. And that's just half of uh, the full distance. So every distance is half that. And then there's also distances for people that are brand new. So they have the sprint triathlon, which can run from anywhere from like an hour to two hours total racing time. And then there's the Olympic distance, which is in the middle. And that's the one that's actually on the Olympics. That's the only one that's in the Olympics. And it's, it's slightly different depending on how you do it. In the Olympics, it's draft legal. So on the bike, they can draft off each other. They ride road bikes. But most of the races you'll see um, like locally and across the country are non-draft legal where people ride triathlon bikes and they spread out on the bike course, swims um, Mm -hmm. and runs are all similar. But those are kind of the main distances. Okay, well, give us some perspective. So most people know that it takes, you know, an average person between four or five-ish hours to do a marathon. How long, how long does it take, you know, maybe an average athlete? The time allowed is 17 hours. So everybody has 17 hours to complete the course. If you do not finish in the 17 hours, they pull you off the course, um, which is so sad. So 17 hours is the max amount of time you have. If you look at like the elite top professional women, they've done them in eight and a half hours. Um, yeah. So I am not eight and a half hours. My fastest Ironman, the last one I did, this one was canceled because of toxic algae. So that one, my fastest one, that was nine hours and like 13 minutes, but you'd have to add a little bit less than an hour more for the swim. So I'm sitting right around 10 in between 10 and 10 and a half hours. For my fastest one, I think my other ones have been, my slowest one was actually in Hawaii. And I think that was what more like 11 and a half hours, but I don't even remember ish. But people are somewhere, I think the average is probably around that like 12, 13, 14 hour range. I could be making that up completely though. So that's my guess. So it's a long, long, long day for anybody. No kidding. And how does it go? What do you, what is the order? So it's swim first and that's typically for safety. That's where, you know, most people are, are most terrified of the swim. A lot of people are mm-hmm. adult non uh, or adult onset swimmers really. And so swim is first and then the bike, and then you finish up with the run. Got it. You and I got kind of interested at, in triathlon around the same time. What was it that got you interested? What made you want to compete? <laughs> I blame Stephanie McCall. <laughs> um, <laughs> same. <laughs> right. We're the same. Yeah. She at the time was the group exercise coordinator at um, the Y that I was teaching group exercise at. I don't think you were teaching there yet. I think you were still in college. Um, you were teaching group exit at, but you were taking classes at the Y and I was teaching there and, um, taking classes there. So Stephanie was part of, um, starting the, um, Siski wise triathlon program that Melanie Norris ran. And you and I both went to high school with some of the Norris children. Uh, uh-huh. And so who are all athletes. Uh, absolutely. And so Stephanie's like, Hey, you should do a triathlon. And I was like, okay. <laughs> not knowing what in the world I was doing. Uh, meanwhile, she wanted me to sign up for a half Ironman, not a sprint, not an Olympic, like might as well go for a bigger race. I didn't own a bike at all. I signed up 
and then had to go figure out how to buy a bike. The first bike I rode was actually a mountain bike because I didn't even know there was a road bike to ride. Uh, the skinny tires terrified me. Uh, <laughs> and that's hilarious. You, you and I share that, share that sentiment. <laughs> I think my, I remember going out on a road ride with you guys and I was riding like, what are they called? Um, they have thinner tires, but they have hybrids. You rode a hybrid bike. And I died. Yes. And then, and you would have, you would have been dying on a mountain bike too, if uh-huh. you were riding that. But then I, but in, in, at Beach to Battleship, I rode my dad's clunky, like 15 pounds. I mean, that thing was so heavy. It was like, because, because it's expensive. Yeah. So what, like, curious, what, um, let's talk a little about, I mean, it costs money to do this. It's of course, not cheap you know, at all. Yeah. A marathon, you buy a pair of tennis shoes, you pay a race fee of maybe a hundred bucks, $120, but like triathlon, talk a little bit about that. What do races cost? What is, what is a bike? I mean, there's a huge range, but I mean, talk a little bit about that. Oh, races vary. Um, and I think it's a real current issue right now is trying to make the sport more accessible to all people. I remember having to, I think I had to ask for it for Christmas. I was like, mom, will you pay, will you help pay for this for Christmas? Not cheap. Yeah. I've had friends like for gifts by me, like uh, packages for coaching, like all sorts of things, because it's just, everything is expensive. And the more you get into the sport, the more money you can spend. So yes, you can start with the basic bike from Walmart, you know, your little hybrid cruiser bike and wear your swimsuit that you buy and a pair of running shoes. And it's not that expensive. Race entries can get quite expensive. I think my race entry for um, Hawaii for hopefully this year was supposed to be last year was right at a thousand dollars. They're not cheap, um, but like a local sprint race, uh, less than a hundred bucks. So, you know, not, not super cheap, not like a 5k, but they're not outrageous. So you can start, you know, relatively inexpensively, but I think what happens is people do one race and they see all these people with these fancy bikes and fancy tires and fancy helmets and fancy wheels and, um, race kits and wetsuits and you know, the latest, greatest running shoes. And now it becomes, it becomes quite expensive. You know, bikes can cost anywhere from 2000 to $10,000 Your wheels cost another 2000. The helmet costs 200, you know, <laughs> the wetsuit costs 500, you know, so it's just, it adds up over and over and over um, again. <laughs> yeah. And now they have like the speed suit. So if the water's too warm for a wetsuit, you buy the speed suit, which is another 200 bucks. And so it's just, you know, it adds up, it's not cheap. And I think that is a goal, um, especially with USA triathlon to make it more accessible to all people, because we want to be an inclusive sport. I think too, for me, what I loved so much about triathlon, because I was no, I think at Providence high, I swam on that team. Cause you didn't have to audition. It was like, we'll let anybody in. And I was like, cool, I'll swim. But I, like you, I swam in the summer and then swam in high school and, and then just went to spin classes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is fun. And then my sister kind of got me into running and I was like, this is fun. And so what I love about triathlon is it, it's not just one thing, unlike marathon where it's like every single day you're running mm-hmm. triathlon. It's the three. I feel like, I feel like there's some longevity there. Like there's some sustainability with your body where it's not as hard on your body. Maybe. I mean, do you feel the same way or no? I think training for a marathon is, is harder than training for an Ironman. Really? Just and and it's what exactly what you said. I think the constant pounding and the constant running that just wears and tears on your body. And now, what, when I'm training for an Ironman, my uh, overall time and volume is definitely higher than a marathon would be, but it's varied. And so, you know, I'm not always pounding my feet. Um, 
And I think that definitely helps with the sport and helps with the longevity in the sport for sure. So you and I both started with Stephanie mm-hmm. in that race. Both of us felt like we got our asses kicked uh-huh. that day. <laughs> we sat on the floor eating ice cream cones. Uh-huh. We were like, okay, here we are. I went on to do other things. <laughs> then you, Stephanie you never know. did one again either. <laughs> I'm, aware. I'm aware. I've done some shorter distances. But I'm like, she never I'll, did I'll, another. <laughs> she's also, she's also quite older. <laughs> Kudos to you, Stephanie, yep. for doing that, man. But yeah, you continued and you have gone on to um, do the race, the granddaddy race. And so I'd love to talk to you a little bit about kind of what that looked like when you decided, yes, this is something that I want to do. And, you know, and what kind of race, cause I know you've been all over the place, mm-hmm. you've traveled and you've had to, qu- you had to qualify for Kona. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do what did some of those races look like? What, what, what did, what did you learn along the way? Your, your strong, and I'm asking you a lot of questions and we'll, we'll get through them, but your strongest leg was swimming. I'm curious, like over the years, is it still swimming? Is it still, so let's, let's go through some of that. Talk, 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 talk to me about the decision-making after you did that race. Cause a lot of people do these races and they're like, never again, mm-hmm. like Stephanie. Uh-huh. And then some people are like, this is for me. I love this. Mm-hmm. And they dig in, which is what you did. Yeah. So talk to me about that. First of all, I think I'm as competitive as they come and I'm a goal setter and I'm super driven. So just doing that one race and in that one race, I actually might remember this time to this day of six hours and 24 seconds at beach to battleship. And I stopped to use the port potty at mile two. And this is kind of gross, but nowadays if you got to go to the bathroom, you just pee on yourself. That's where we are with competing. Um, no, and, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> and so I was like distraught over the fact that I used the porta potty, which cost me probably the 25 seconds to get me under six hours. Uh-huh. And so something so silly as that I was like, I gotta do another, I gotta do another, I can do better than this. And so I was kind of instantly hooked. And I met some friends along the way through the Siski uh, Tri program, specifically Laura Hage. She got me kind of, kind of focused on both of us looking for a coach and trying to better ourselves in the sport across time. And so um, I've had two triathlon coaches since I started the sport. And I think I used Kelly Filno until about 2014. And then I've switched to um, Steve Hall, who I'm actually coaching with now. Uh, taking on having a coach really guided my training. Um, I love Stephanie, but I think our training plan uh, before was like, oh, maybe we'll ride 25 miles today. Stephanie and I did a marathon together at one point and we were more focused on our spray tan than the marathon training plan. You know, just, just <laughs> over time, you know, hiring people, learning from people, talking to people, getting involved in the sport. I really, I grew as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I saw, you know, I saw pretty good success just uh, hiring a coach initially. And that led me to, you know, signing up for more races, taking on more challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what were some of the races you did? So it, for a while I did a bunch of just local races. Beach to Battleship is considered a local race. It's not sanctioned, is it? Or is it, it now? Was, it was set up events that ran it, but it's a local company. Okay. Ironman has since bought it out and now it's Ironman. Oh, it is an Ironman. Yeah. Race. It's an, well, okay. it's a half Ironman now it's Ironman 70.3 North Carolina. I did the local races for a while, um, was challenged, I think by my coach Kelly at the time to try to qualify for the 70.3, uh, world championships. And so Mm -hmm. I had to do an Ironman branded race. Um, those are the like national and, um, all across the world races. So I went to new Orleans, swam in Lake Pontchartrain, came out of the water covered in dirt. Like I was 
brown, muddy, biked and ran and somehow qualified for um, the world championships, which was in Henderson, Nevada, Las Vegas. That's dry. Yeah. It actually poured down rain. That was kind of the start of me chasing and going after some more, I guess, audacious goals in the sport. Did you go overseas? Do I remember? I have. I went to um, the 70.3 World Championships in Australia. It was in Aruba, which is on the Sunshine Coast. Um, I flew into Brisbane. Absolutely amazing. Australia was on my bucket list. You know, I got to hold the koala. I got to do all the things. I qualified for that race um, at actually Ironman 70.3 Raleigh. So it was here in North Carolina and took that trip. I believe that was 2017. Um, So there was a few years in between. I believe I did 2013 was my first world championships. And they've since the world championships used to always be in Las Vegas. Since then, the 70.3, the half Ironman distance, it changes every year. When it went to Australia, I could not miss the opportunity. So I was lucky enough to qualify for um, that one at uh, Raleigh. If I'm not mistaken, you had a pretty successful like GoFundMe to help you go, right? Did you do that? My friends from school kind of pressured me into like doing it because I felt so uncomfortable. Like it's, it's like a weird thing. I don't know, asking people for money for me to go on a trip. I think it's great. No, I think it was great. You earned it. It's like you earned it. And this is the only barrier in your way is money. And like, if people who care about you can help you do it, like, why not? I think it's great. I'm glad your friends did that. I was shocked at the amount of support I got. And, you know, it's like, I am a school teacher. And so I'm, I'm not making all the money in the world. And to see people uh-huh. like, just be so giving, I'll never forget. And I don't know who it is to this day. I was at master's swim practice uh, for MSA that I still swim with now. Um, and I came out to my car and on my car was in a Ziploc bag money. And then there was a little picture of like a kangaroo with the money. And I have no idea who left it on my car to this day, but you okay. know, just, there were so many people that were supportive. I like, couldn't even imagine like, and I'm still embarrassed by it. It makes me uncomfortable, but I'm grateful for those people that uh, were willing to, you know, take a chance on me. Yeah. Money makes people uncomfortable, Uh but um, we all need it. And no, I think it's very cool. No, I think if you were saying, Hey, me and my, me and my partner want to go to Australia for a weekend or for, for our summer beach trip or whatever, will you fund? No, you earned it. You earned it. I think it's great. And I think people, anybody listening who has a financial burden like that in front of them, and they're trying to do something like people need, people need to be willing to ask. Like, I think if, I think if you're working for something, if you've earned it, then ask, um, there are a lot of people out there that love you and will support you. So, yeah. And now I look at it and I see other people like asking for not necessarily the same thing I am, but I, I feel like I can pay it back now. Um, sorry, that's my dog. Um, I feel like I can pay it back a little bit. And so it's nice to support some other people with some of their missions or charities or, you know, those kind of things that they're supporting now. Explain what a training coach does. I never had anyone work with me. I never got super serious about it either in marathon marathons. I always worked with other people. I've run a few marathons and always helped somebody that was, I've run like four first marathons with other people. And like, I was their just buddy. I was by no means a coach. I was basically just a partner in crime. Like, Hey, let's do this together. And um, I'm glutton for punishment. Yep, yep. I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll be there for you. And I, I, it's an honor, and I enjoy it. I enjoy having that first experience with people. But um, I never got super serious about triathlon and hired a coach. Talk a little bit about what hiring a coach can do, like did for you, maybe, or what, and and what maybe uh-huh. a what a work a week's workout looks like. Because um, mm-hmm. I think 
not everyone can understand this, you know, what that requires. And then, and then we'll go into nutrition because I think nutrition is yep. fascinating. We talk about hiring a coach, um, hiring coach, like completely changed me as an athlete. Uh-huh. Um, which you should know, cause you worked with coaches. You're, you know, since you were, you know, it t- and I've, yeah. And I credit a ton of my success to a couple of standout coaches that I've had, uh-huh. um, in my life. And so my current coach, Steve Hall is like beyond my triathlon coach. I would consider him like my life coach, the poor guy. He took me on in 2014 and he has gotten the good, the bad, the ugly, the dirty, like everything from me. And I know that I am not necessarily um, an easy athlete. I think in the first at least year, probably two, he might still be arguing that I'm doing it now. We butt heads. Uh-huh. I mean, I just stood up to everything he threw at me, every type of workout. I didn't think he was right. I thought I knew it all. And it was just different than what I had been doing. And it took me a while to give in and trust him. Are you a control person? Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like to control everything possible. Yeah. You and I are the same there. Yeah. So it took me a while to give in, but once I finally like let go and just trusted his process, I saw the most success in the sport um, I've had. I've had all of my PR runs, bikes, swims, almost even half Ironman, Ironman under his coaching. And you know what we think about as a triathlon coach is probably just someone who gives you workouts. Mm -hmm. That's what I think of, but it's more than that. And you know what, like you can buy a plan of workouts anywhere and some of them are great. You know, it's all about being consistent and just getting out there and training. It's not necessarily, there's a magic workout. There's not, not anything's magic. He's given me in his workouts that, you know, is just so different that it's making me a better athlete. It's what he's done with my head, my belief and my confidence in myself. Mm, That's good. You know, I grew up an athlete, so I, I should have some, you know, mental capacity to be confident and believe in myself, but he day in and day out challenged me to believe in myself and go after what I thought was possible and take chances and, and make big goals. And to, you know, I owe him, I owe him all my success, honestly, because, you know, he gave me the workouts, but what he really did is made me believe that I could be the athlete that um, I want to be. I'm still not there yet, but, um, you know, I still want more in the sport, but he, he keeps pushing me to be better every day. I think that's, um, I think that's a lot of like friendship. It's, it's amazing to have like good friends that can do that for you, mm-hmm. but good friends mm-hmm. don't necessarily know like what you're, what pressure you're under in the sport. And he knows that. And so he can, he can bring both these, like the technical element of training and then, you know, the pressure from sport, but also like what you want a good friend to tell you say, Hey, Jen, come on. Like you got this, like you're, you're ready. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had the hard conversations. I mean, he always talks about me. The biggest problem is what's between my ears and, and he's right. And, you know, other things too, like before I think I used him as a coach, I um, had a habit to overtrain. Mm-hmm. And I think we all kind of mm-hmm. do because more is more is more. Right. right? And so more than anything, he's, he reels me in and, you know, keeps me under control and makes sure I'm not doing too much and, mm-hmm. you know, focusing on recovery and all those things that 
you don't think a coach is going to do is what he does. And I think that's what makes him um, so dynamic and why he's had a lot of success with so many of his athletes. Mm -hmm. Is he doing workouts with you? Some, it just depends here and there. He was quite a successful triathlete himself. He's qualified for the uh, world championships. He went to Kona, I believe it was in 2013. It might've been 2014. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. So he's been quite successful. And I think he went through a phase there where he gave up the sport so he could focus on coaching. Mm -hmm. And so he still, he still does some workouts with us, but he's um, not kind of training as much as he used mm -hmm. to. Do you do most of your training sessions by yourself? Or are you with other people who are training? I do. I, most of them I feel like are by myself because nobody wants to get up at four or three fifty in the morning, which I'm doing this year since school starts super early. And so I haven't found people that like to run at four 30. If anybody in Charlotte likes to run at four 30, like I'm your girl. So most of them are by myself. I do some with the masters, uh, swim team, which is, uh, MSA uh -huh. and Patty Waldron, who did my tryout for Mac when I was, I guess, six years old is my coach. She was also my coach when I was 13 years old. So it's like full circle that now she's my master swim coach. So I swim there um, with a crew. There's a mix of swimmers, a lot of triathletes. It's really fun just having that camaraderie um, and people to joke around with. On the weekends, I um, try and run. I usually run with my training partner, Carol Ann. We've run many a miles together. She's like my counselor and therapist, um, you know, how a long run can mm -hmm. be. And then uh, we try to, um, our hit endurance group, we try and meet up for group rides. We don't necessarily all ride together, but we try and meet up. And then what's most important is the, uh, post-ride coffee of after. Course. And so, you know, <laughs> that's why we do it. So we can sit around and talk about everything and rehash all the details, uh, with coffee after. Are you training on the bike, mostly indoors on a trainer at home? Or are you mostly riding outside? What are you doing right now? I have not been outside on my bike in a long time. Okay. Explain that to people. Cause not everyone understands that you can actually, it's not necessarily better training. I'd be curious to hear what your coach says. I basically trained for beach to battleship on a stationary bike. I basically trained after I had kids, my husband basically said, you cannot go ride your bike outside unless it's yeah. a race. He's like, I will not let you ride outside. So I've trained every triathlon I've done. I've basically trained inside. So explain that to people. Cause not everyone understands that you can do that. Yeah. Indoor riding has really taken off, especially, um, last year with the pandemic and just like people not wanting to do any group rides, um, outdoors for safety reasons. And so I use a program called Zwift okay. and it is like, I would consider it like the Peloton for cyclists. Okay. So I have a little avatar and there's all different lands you can ride in. You can load your workouts into it. Um, and so I use the program. I ride my actual bike but it's set up on what's called a bike trainer. And so I take my back wheel off. I put the bike chain on the trainer. Um, and on these programs nowadays, it will change elevation. You can change gears. You can shift. You can do all of those things. So it kind of simulates like you're riding outside without having to worry about it. There's, you know, some perks to it for sure. You're constantly pedaling. So it's a really a more efficient, a harder workout mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. indoors because outdoors you can coast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, Lovely. I turned um, an extra bedroom in my house into my pain cave last year. And so I've got, I bought a treadmill this year. I've got a home gym now. I've got my bike set up in there. I've got my two TVs so I can Netflix and Zwift. I do pretty much all of my workouts in there for right now. One, because it's just a little cold to ride outside. Um, but anything during the week I ride um, inside safety, ease, can get on my bike at any time. You know, I just have to 
jump in the room, put on my shoes and go. There's a lot more work to riding outside. Um, but there's nothing like it. I miss it. Right. There's nothing like it in the summer. And hopefully starting here soon, we usually go out Sunday mornings at the crack of dawn, as soon as it's light enough to ride outside and hopefully avoid the traffic yeah. um, and not irritate any drivers. We try and go out on the country roads, but that's, you know, when the weather's conducive um, and usually only just Sunday mornings. Is swimming still your strong leg? Yes, I guess. Because you're a very strong cyclist too. <laughs> yeah. The, my last Ironman, there was no swim. We started with the bike, <laughs> which is a little weird way to do it. I slept in that morning um, because we didn't have to be up early to get lined up for the swim. Slept in, got on the bike and off we went. And I actually put down the fastest overall female bike split at that race. So I think my bike, yeah, I don't know. Overall, all women, not just your age group, all women. Yes. But you know, then I get passed on the run. So it all, it all comes back. So I guess my bike is pretty even. My swim and my bike are definitely my strongest. The run is always going to be my weakness and always what I'm working mm-hmm. on. You're very competitive. I know this. What is, what eats at you? Ooh, that's a tough question. I think finding my limits, reaching my potential, being the best I can be. I also like, I've had a few races where I didn't quit the race, but I gave up racing and I didn't push myself to my limits. And I can, I can sit here and think about a half Ironman I did in Florida. And my coach was like, you quit. Mm. Um, And I did. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of stuff, not not leaving it all out there, like why? You know, you train every day. I get up at four o'clock in the morning. I train before school, I train after school. Given up a lot of things, I've sacrificed a lot of things to go to sleep at eight o'clock. So why not leave it all out there? Why not see how good you can be? Why not go for it? Curious, we'll we'll dig into your psyche here. We'll, we'll dig up old bones. Um, is it usually is it usually something that happens earlier on that just like pisses you off and you're like, why did I? And then you're just like, you can't recover from it. It's like it's like something happens in the swim and you're like, dang it, why did that happen? And then it just you feel that you can't catch up, and so you're just like, never mind. Yes, and it's kind of yes. I know that I need to be strong on the swim and the bike because I know those girls are coming after me on the run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I swim and bike scared almost because there's a fear of everybody passing me on the run. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to say that I'm getting better at it. I finally had a race actually in Raleigh, not the same year I qualified for um, Australia, but another year where a girl passed me in my age group for people that don't know, they put your age on the back of your leg. And so, you know, they go running by you and there's their age. And I'm like, ugh, like ugh, another one passed me. Yeah. And so for the first time ever, I passed her back. I passed someone in my age group back. And that just never happens to me because if they're, they're passing me, they're faster runner than me and they're going to beat me. And I think one of just that little that little moment, that one time where I finally passed someone back has given me a little um, confidence, but I will be fighting this tooth and nail every day, every race that, that I'm going to get passed on the run, that I'm not good enough. And that's where it's going to come crashing down. And it has to be the last leg. I, I grew up a swimmer and I was an IMer, and I was a breaststroker, which is toward the end of the IM. And so I was the opposite in catching people. And so this is a different for me in this sport where 
people are catching me and I'm not sure I like being the carrot. <laughs> I think I would rather be chasing people, but um, I'm learning to adjust, I guess. That's a very good way to put it. Being the carrot or the run or the bunny, I guess. Let's talk about nutrition. So people don't realize you basically need to eat like a day's worth of food while you're out there. <laughs> and I've never, I've never been able to get good at it. And I, if I ever got back into this sport, I would I'd have to hire a coach to help me through that. Cause I just don't know how to do it correctly. I think I ate Mike and Ike's when I was on my bike and, um, it, <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> I ate Mike and Ike's. that's probably not good. So talk a little bit about like what kind of food you eat. You know, people think you pound a plate of spaghetti beforehand, like maybe, maybe not. Like, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. For the record, for that first half Ironman, you ate Mike and Ike's. I only ate two mini peanut butter Ritz sandwich crackers too. For the whole race, I was sick for days after, sick for days for the lack of fueling. I'm super structured on my eating. I track everything I eat day in and day really? out all the time. Yeah. And so. What does your diet look like? Is it plant-based meats, blend, like just good foods? I, I just try and eat good foods for the most part. I've got a bit of a thyroid issue. Mm -hmm. So I avoid some things just to try and get um, my thyroid to function a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I just try and eat and eat well. And more than anything, it's about eating enough. Yeah. And again, I think my coach would um, would agree that he is constantly saying, you're not eating enough, you're not eating enough, and you're not eating enough. And I think there's, there's a lot of pressure for anyone in sport, but especially females in appearance and how you look. And mm. so <laughs> I think that's going to be, <laughs> I think that's going to be a battle for me and for not really any female mm -hmm. and making sure that they're fueling their body to perform. And that's what I have to tell myself over and over again. It's I'm, I'm not fueling myself for how I look. I'm fueling myself for performance. And that's more important to me that I want to perform well. Yeah. I guess that's a, that could go a whole different direction. Oh yeah. I've packed on weight training. Oh yeah. It's real. No, no, but it's real because I've trained with other girls who, you know, who are, were very close friends of mine. And I remember listening to what they were eating and, um, and I struggled with the same thing. Like, you know, we've got this long ride that we're going to do, or these like back-to-back -back workout, this brick workout bike run. And it's like, but we want to look cute in our dress later that night. And we're like, no, but we have to eat like this ridiculous amount of food. And it's like, then our workouts suffer because we don't eat enough. No, no, it's, it's a real thing. And I, I can, and I, I thank you for bringing that up because mm -hmm. it's like, what's really important. You're committing your life to, to, to sport. And, and yet at the same time, you're worried about how you look and it's like, yeah. come on now, how you perform is way more impressive than how you look. And so it's yeah. like, let's, and let's prioritize what's <laughs> it's the world we live in really. Um, and so like for me, fueling is a part of like essentially every workout. So, um, making sure I'm getting some sort of recovery in right after my workouts. Um, so then I'm ready for the next one. Cause most days there's more than one workout. So I want to be prepared, um, for all my workouts as best as I can, you know, for, for training and for racing, I do a ton of fluids. Um, most of the races are in the summer where it's quite hot. You would see me also like adding a ton of salt to, um, my bottles, like I have salt, yeah. uh, salt pills that I will like break open and pour into the bottles to get a ton of sodium. Cause you're sweating out so much. So I try and take in like a bottle of fluids an hour. So that's like 24 ounces an hour, all with calories. Um, most of the time in races, I'm like trying to search for around 300 calories an hour, 
which is a lot on the stomach and it's a lot to be able to digest. And I am not great at that. 300 calories of, yeah, 300 calories of fluid or? 300 calories. And I do mainly fluids, some like um, semi-liquid like gels, which are nasty. They're really gross, Um, but they're like not quite a solid. And so I can tolerate them. People get by with uh, solid foods. I can do that while I'm training. You know, get me a Snickers bar, get me a payday. People like a payday out training, big Newtons. I don't know. Those are things people, people tend to eat on training rides. But when I get to a race, my gut is just a mess. And so it's all liquid. From nerves or what? Yeah, I think so. Intensity, high heart rate, you know, all those things. So I, you know, getting in all those bottles of fluids. And then on the run, I'm still drinking like Gatorade at every aid station and Coke. Um, yeah, I remember that. And yeah. so trying to get in that caffeine, a little bit of um, a jolt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is it still flat Coke or they, don't they make it yeah, flat? It's mainly usually? flat. Now um, you also see like Red Bull. Um, really? Of course. Yeah. I've, I'm nervous about really trying it. So uh-huh. I don't like the taste of Red Bull. It's, it's so strong, but it gives you wings. It gives you wings. <laughs> you need those wings. Yeah. Um, okay. So when I, when I'm able, I sit on my butt and watch Kona mm-hmm. and cause it is the only televised one. I, yeah, I think for the most uh, part, for the most part. Um, and in 2017, you were there, um, a camera was not following you sadly, friend. <laughs> um, but I knew you were there and I was tracking you on an app, but no, those girls are beasts. They're insane. And I, and I was watching, I was watching them and you know, thinking of you and I mean, you've got like volcanoes on one side, I think, or like volcanic material on one side, you can like see the heat coming off the ground. And then you've mm-hmm. got like the water on the talk about mind games. Like I would think that that course looks both beautiful and also painful you. And then you wrote in a post and share whatever you're willing to share, but you wrote in a post that that was a really tough race. And I would imagine you, the competitor you are, you wanted to just crush it at that race, but you probably knew that it was going to be hard if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk a little bit about, well, first let's back up. What does it take to qualify for Kona? There's Ironman races all over the world. Um, and at each race, the first person, first place person in each age group, male or female automatically gets a slot. And then after that, there's usually like 40 slots a race. So about, you know, 2,000, 2,500 people in a race and then 40 slots for Kona. After that, so male and female, each, each age group gets a slot. Um, after that, they're allocated based on the number of people in the age group. So most, most of the slots go to men because there's just more men in the races. So I got lucky <laughs> in the year I qualified that there was two slots for my age group to Kona. So I have yet to win my age group. I'm still trying. Um, That might be another thing that's driving me, but I got second in my age group along with one of my training partners, Karen Wood, who got second in her age group at the time, um, Ironman Louisville. And so we were both lucky to get a slot to Kona for the following year, which was 2017. And I guess there's about 2000 people. I think that do Kona each year, maybe more like 2,500 because there are races all across the country um, and all across mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. And so this is worlds. This is the world championship. This is the world championship. It's, so it's the big one. It. It's the one all the pros are um, aiming for all season to try and win. And same mm-hmm. thing, there's, you know, they crown an age group world champion in each age group. It's always in Kona. It's been there since, I want to say the eighties. And so it's just kind of legendary. Um, the course is absolutely epic. Um, we flew in the week before the race 
and went out for a bike ride the day after we arrived on the Queen K Highway, which is where most of the bike course takes place. And I consider myself a rather strong cyclist. I got off my bike and I cried. I sobbed. I didn't know how I could do that bike course. The wind, it was terrifying. The heat, the salt, the wind, it was terrifying. It looked brutal. It looked brutal. It was terrifying. And I, I'm a good cyclist. I'm like, how do these people do it? And and I mean, there are people that are in their 80s doing this race. You know, in their 70s, there are challenged athletes. This coming year, the one I'm doing, um, Ironman Florida recently had the first um, person with Down syndrome to finish an Ironman, and they have given him a slot to Kona. So in 2021, Chris Nitschuk is going to be doing this Ironman, same course as me, same time limit, same restrictions, same everything. And he has Down syndrome. So like, that's incredible. You know, like <laughs> it's, it's an absolutely epic course. Um, the winds on the bike are scary. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, white knuckling, hanging on to that bike for dear life. Um, the swim is in the ocean. It's beautiful. You know, like you said, it looks beautiful, but it was also like a washing machine. And here I am a good swimmer again, and I'm getting pounded in that swim. Yeah. Explain, explain to people like what that feels like to be in the water and have people around <laughs> um, you. So I typically consider myself one of those people that's going to run people over in the swim, like get out of my way, or I'm going to run you over. And at this swim, again, I, I'm an ex-college swimmer. I should be okay. <laughs> I don't know if there were people everywhere. Uh, the men started 15 minutes before us and it didn't take me long to start catching some of the men, but there were a lot of them. And so when you're out there fighting the waves because you're in the ocean and then just- Are most, are most saltwater uh, races in the ocean or are they in the sound? Like where are they normally? You know, it, not necessarily in the US. The one I did in Australia, the half Ironman was in the ocean and then mm -hmm. Kona. That's the only ones I've done in the ocean. Uh, mm -hmm. Ironman Florida is in the ocean, but the rest- of the races and especially nowadays they try and make them a little bit safer i think and so you don't really typically see them in bodies of water that are as challenging um but for a world championship it should be so people are all over you people are all fine. over me this one took a little longer than i expected which was which was fine it wasn't you know not a big deal um because it was just <laughs> pure mayhem i was happy to get out and then you hit the bike course and i will say like I got out on the bike and the streets are lined. And I, again, not really that much of a crier, but maybe I am. I like just cried. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm out here doing this. That's part, it's probably part like <laughs> you're exhilarated and yep. joy and like, yep. oh, how could this possibly be a little bit of an imposter yeah. syndrome? Like, yeah. how am I here? Yeah. Like I shouldn't be here. I'm not this good. Um, and so took off on that bike and the wind just ate me up and it wound up just I think I was holding on to dear life for my bike that between the swim being a washing machine and the bike, just not being prepared. And I, I don't want to say like, I could have done anything else to prepare for that because you just, you don't know until you get there what it's like. Sure. And so that just like killed my lower back and I could not ride in the aerodynamic position, which is like hunched down over your bike, which you needed to be on that course because it was so windy. And so I was like upright, like I'm picturing the, time. the witch and the wizard of Oz, you know, do, 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 do. And I, it's exhausting. It was exhausting. 
Um, and so I actually, I rode my bike up to the turnaround, which is in Javi, which is like in the North part of the Island. And my mom was there, which was so great. And I got off my bike. I don't get off my bike in the race, but I got off my bike to use the bathroom because well, my back was killing me. And I like had a conversation with my mom and I'm like, tell Steve, my back is hurting, but I'm going to keep going. Like <laughs> at what point, how far in were you? That's like, that was at the turnaround. So that's at like 56 miles. And so from there on out, like I had to stop at every aid station and kind of stretch my back. I don't know. I've never had this issue before. And I just could not get enough fluids in. And I also think like that was my slowest bike split of any Ironman I've done. And so I'm just not used to being on the bike for that long. I was that's what, like six hours? Yeah, it was hours? something. I think I was almost like six hours, not quite six hours. It's a long time. But so I had to take in more fluids. And so it was just like my stomach was in a mess, you know, I get off the bike and I'm like, woohoo, finally, like, and I, I'm not a runner. So usually I love the bike, but can't wait for the run. And I was like getting off the bike, uh, going out for the run, they're announcing the male winner coming across the finish line. <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, they're finishing. And I have another marathon to run. Yeah. Cause they don't really do it in what, like seven hours, seven. Oh yeah. And so that was like a, a full dose of like humble pie, but also like kind of cool that I'm at the world championship and here comes this guy breaking, you know, records. And so, you know, got to the run and I am instantly too much information again in the port potty. Because again, like all those fluids, all that sugar, all that Gatorade. You feel like bogged down. Yeah, it's, it doesn't sit well. So, you know, like off on the run and go, and the support is awesome, especially for the first half of the run. There's people everywhere, water guns, um, high fives. And I am a competitor and I tend to have like a racer's eye. And, you know, if I see like um, some of my friends on the course, like definitely a high five, a good job or a point at them. Um, but at this race, I knew I wasn't going to win and I wanted to be my best, but I also wanted to soak up every minute of it because I didn't know if I'd ever make it back. And so I high-fived the kids and took some of the water gun sprays and whatnot. I actually um, stopped for a selfie with my coach on the middle of the run course, which is so unlike me. Like I will never probably do that again, but it was a moment. And it's like one of my favorite pictures because like, you know, like he came to that race, he was supporting us. And I, I got to share that like moment with him. I talked to my mom up the big hill in Polani. Um, and I actually met a girl from California. We ran almost 10 miles together. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So like now I kind of follow her on Instagram and whatnot, but we bonded over the misery uh, yeah, out there, yeah. especially on the Queen K. So, you know, every bit of that race was hard. There was nothing easy about it. That's my dog again. But the finish line was epic. Epic. I mean, you, you can't, you can't make up that finish line and then calling your name and saying you're an Iron Man. I think what's so interesting with sport is that like, and in life, like we often want things that we feel we deserve. It's like, I deserve that. I deserve that. Like it's, it's an, like an entitlement mentality around certain things, mm -hmm. whether it's in school or a relationship, like, oh, he does, I deserve for him to treat me better or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But I think in sport, what's interesting is the sense of like, I overcame, I endured, I struggled and I earned every bit of it. And this, like, there's nothing like going through that. And I think you, I think it makes you look at everything else in your life with a more critical eye, like in relationships, I can speaking for myself, I can say that 
I am more critical about how I show up in my relationship because by how I, because I'm, I train for things mm-hmm. because I, I think, I think you mentioned earlier how you, you you work with your coach and your coach, you, you guys with butt heads and everything like that. I think what's so admirable about athletes is that you, ha- you are someone that can take criticism because if you couldn't take criticism, you wouldn't be where you are today. Like if you hadn't listened to him and if you hadn't followed his lead or her, who your previous coaches, like, so I think what, I think athletes are having an athletic piece of your life. Cause not everyone's going to do what you did. Not some people are going to, it's going to be more of a social thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it makes us maybe just better humans in general, but also I think people who can handle criticism are just, I think you're more successful in life if you can handle criticism um, in general. Oh, I agree. And I like, I mean, I look at like, especially with my coach, like there, I've had to say, I'm sorry. And I'm wrong more times than I would like to admit. I've had to hear like some hard truths from him, but I look at it now and like, because of those things. And because like, I'm at the point now where we, we don't necessarily butt heads like that. And I, and I trust him wholeheartedly that trusting. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm having success and, mm-hmm. you know, I look at my Ironman from 2019, which I just last week and said was last year. And it definitely wasn't. I qualified for Kona without the swim, which was my best, should, should be my best leg of triathlon. But my coaches instilled in me, like, you know, give it what you got, like go for it. And, you know, I took some of that pressure off because there was no swim and I went for it and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And okay, so you're, let's talk about where you are today. Mm-hmm. You are coaching some now, right? I am. I um, am. Explain that. What are you doing? So I am like an assistant coach for my coach, Steve. We started along with another Karen who qualified for Kona in the first year uh, with me. We started uh, Hit Endurance and mm-hmm. we coach uh, mainly local, but some people that are not local, triathletes, runners, cyclists of all abilities and levels. And it's been, it's been really fun. I watched one of the people that started with me, like from basically the get go, do her first Ironman in Louisville with me um, in 2019. And, you know, the swim was canceled. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is Krista's first Ironman. Like, come on. Like, and I watched her have the best attitude about it. And it is what it is. And it's, it's an Ironman and you're doing the distance. And she did every bit of the training for it. And I watched her cross the finish line with two of our other friends that came to um, support us. And I am just like, we've got it on video. I am yelling, Krista, Krista, you did it. And that's, that's so exciting. That's more exciting than what I'm doing um, to see someone put in the work and reap the benefit and cross the finish line. I mean, it, it didn't get any better than that. And to share that with her was something I'll never forget. One of my um, greatest moments in training and racing is, is seeing her cross that finish line. So yeah, we're coaching and it's, it's really fun. It's uh, a new challenge for me. Um, mm-hmm. I am, I didn't realize I was such a nerd, but I love learning. So I, because oh, says a teacher, says <laughs> a teacher, but, but this is a whole new thing. And like, not that new. I mean, I've been doing it for years now, but I try and read and learn and grow as a coach. Um, Steve has pretty much mentored me in helping me learn how to coach and what I should do and what I should say and those kind of things. But I've also, you know, any chance I can get to, um, I used to go to some of the conferences, they've all been virtual now, but 
anything I can do to learn and grow and be a better coach, a better human being, I love. Yeah, that's admirable. Most of the people that are getting into sport and training with you, where would you say they are in their phase stage of life? Are they, you know, what, or I guess maybe even when you see, when you go to races, what is like the biggest age group? People who do triathlon, is it mostly like young people? Is it people, you know, that are a little bit older with some time and some money who can afford it or what, you know? Yeah. I think the big age groups tend to be the males, like 40 to 50 range. Mm. Um, and that's where you see most of them, which makes sense. They're a little bit seasoned, um, and they've probably had some time to one accumulate the money to pay for the sport, um, Mm -hmm. and a job where they can, uh, maybe have more flexibility Flexibility, in training. What about women? The women, I, I would say probably that 40 to 50 range too, but it's definitely the amount of women is significantly smaller. And again, I appreciate, uh, what USA triathlon is, is doing because they are, putting um, more initiative into growing women in the sport, mm-hmm. growing diversity in the sport. All of those things has been a point of emphasis for them. Um, Good. If you like the um, NCAA has instituted triathlon um, at a couple schools across the country, all women's teams, because that's where they're starting to grow. Um, mm-hmm. So it's cool to see triathlon now as an NCAA sport. And so hopefully that allows it to grow further and people at a younger age can start um, getting involved. I always, that's what I always thought whenever I was out there, it was always like moms with kids that are a little bit grown and they've got some free time and, <laughs> and they were all, and they would kick my butt. I remember oh, being yeah. out there and I'm like, um, I'm 29 and you're, you're how old? 45. And yeah. you just blew right past oh, me. Yeah. I saw your age. So I'm like, I'm like, that's, that's when I'll come back and I'll be hiring you. Jen. <laughs> I'll be 45. <laughs> Give me another 10 years. You'll be ready to kick butt. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. So what's on the horizon for you? You're extremely competitive. What, what are you trying to accomplish now? This year, I'm just hoping to race. I know. You know, honestly, last year, I thought I would be really upset about canceled races and I was able to accept it and have a year where there was pressure because I always want to get better, but I enjoyed training more. I realized that I love this sport because of the people in Mm. this sport. So still being able to go and train with um, my teammates was just as great as getting to race. And I love to race. Don't get me wrong. I can't wait to race. I so hope that I get to be back in Hawaii in October. Oh, so you've qualified for this year. It was supposed to be last year. Um, and so it's, it's been deferred to this year. They first said it was going to be this past February that got deferred. Um, and so hopefully third time's the charm that you might be there in October. Yeah. Yay. More seasoned. You know what to expect this time. Yeah. I want to race. I want to give it my all. I want to leave it all out there, but when it all comes, push comes to shove. I just, I like training. I like bettering myself. I like the day in day out work just as much as I love the races. And I like the people that are pushing me, making me better, making me laugh. They're for me when I'm upset and crying and all those things. There's just good human beings in this sport. I would agree. Most, no, I'm not doing the kind of training you're doing, but you know, I got into CrossFit for a little while. I, I just, I'm like you, I like to try, I like to push myself. Mm-hmm. And 
I tell people, I'm like, you don't really know me unless you've seen me on my ass, like totally wiped out, crying, thinking like I can't keep going or like, that's, if that's how, you know, <laughs> that's how you yeah. know me. Yeah. If you've seen me like at my worst, then, then I consider you a friend. But it's real. <laughs> yeah. It's real. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Well, girl, I am continue to be so inspired by you and simply because you're somebody that's out there doing it and you're not talking about it. You're doing it. You're pushing You're you're competing. I know you compete against other girls and you hate to see other girls that are in your age group pass you, but you compete against yourself. And that's, that's the best, that's the best place to be is when you're just trying to better yourself. And I think, I think a lot of people can learn from that and apply, you know, that to many areas in their life. And I appreciate deeply you sharing uh, some vulnerable moments and sharing your story. If people are in Charlotte, where do they find, where do they find out about you and your coaching? I guess the best place to check would be on Facebook. It's hit endurance coaching, HIT. HIT. Okay. And then I think my Instagram is Jen Keith 14. So that would be kind of the two places to find me. I will, I will link to all of that in the show notes. So if anybody's really interested in getting into triathlon or training, I'm sure you'd be willing to talk to them. Anytime. I hope you wrap up the season. I hope you wrap or the semester, not the season. I hope it goes well with your kiddos and Thank that, you. um, Thank you. your summer is full of awesome training sessions and that Kona is here in October. Can't wait to watch you suffer. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> yes. Nice work. I did it. Nice work. That was great, Jen. That was great. Look at you. I enjoyed talking. Girl, you got a story to tell. That's awesome. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation and want to hear more, don't forget to click subscribe. If you'd like to help spread the word, leave me a solid review and tell your friends to subscribe too. On Pursuing is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Ah!